How many agree that we need to get a group together and pray for this poor girl and all of her struggles we've been watching every week? You know, she lives such a, a, a rough life, right? <laughs> poor girl. Oh, well, welcome to week four of our series. And this series is Hashtag Struggles, Following Jesus in a Selfie-Centered World. We've been talking about struggles, particularly struggles that we have in our lives that, that, you know, uh, that the advancements in technology and the introduction of social media in our society have served to increase. Last couple of weeks, we focused on the problems it's caused or intensified in our relationships. For example, last week we talked about how it's affected our ability to be authentic in our relationships. Social media has affected our ability to be authentic. Social media allows us to create the image we want us, that we want others to see of us. It allows us to hide behind veils and to keep others from seeing who we really are. And we do this because of our insecurities and because we fear rejection. But then as we saw that as we turn to the Lord and He takes away the veil, there is tremendous freedom freedom to be the person that God created us and free from, the, from needing the acceptance and approval of others at the cost of our own identity, at the cost of being who God created us. So today we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about how technology and social media has affected compassion. Uh, how, do, how, how does it boost compassion and, and, and propel it forward and how does it hinder compassion? Because it does both. For example, social media helps, us to, to, helps to make us much more aware of the work that's being done by ministries and NGOs and other groups in, that, in the fight against human trafficking. I mean, frequently, frequently I, come, I get you know, reports coming across my timeline of, of girls that have been freed from sex slavery because of the work of organizations like International Justice Mission and Destiny Rescue and Truckers Against Trafficking and so many other groups that are in that fight. And I'm always getting, you know, getting reports across of, uh, of you know, groups of girls and, and even in just individuals that have been freed from that. Or how about this one? How, who, who remembers the ALS ice bucket challenge? Do you remember that? Now let me ask, how many people poured or had a bucket of ice water poured on their head? Several, a few, a few, a few, okay. I mean, we did this all to, to both raise awareness and raise money for Lou Gehrig's disease. And that's just a couple of examples, but there are, you can give example after example of, uh, of things that we've become aware of because of social media. I've got a Facebook friend who was involved in a ministry. He, he has a ministry working with street kids in Mexico, giving them lunches, giving them food, and, and, and you know, getting school supplies and just basic you know, hygiene supplies and things like that because the, the kids are too poor to afford any of that. And the only reason I'm connected with that ministry, the only reason I know about it is because of social media. Because I saw it, uh, a friend post something, and I, and I looked into it. So social media has its benefits in that. But in spite of all the good that's being done, there's also a huge downside. That school up north, yeah, University of Michigan, did a, did a comprehensive study of 14,000 college students between the years of 1979 and 2009. 
And what they found was a drastic decline in empathy. In fact, the 30-year study showed that we care 40% less than people did in the 1980s. 40% less, a 40% drop in how we care about people. Now, to help you understand the study a little bit, I'm going to look at just a couple of the questions in the study. Students were asked to rank themselves on a scale of 1 to 5, where 1 is the least and 5 is the highest. And these are a couple of the, the sample statements. I sometimes try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. There was a drastic drop in that response. Drastic drop. Here's another one. <clears throat> I often have tender, concerned feelings about people less fortunate than me. Again, significant drop between 79 and uh, 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 the 80s. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and really, just look at how many... Yes, I'm going to go there. I want you to look at, at just the comments that people have been making about our immigrant situation and the de detainee, immigrant detainees. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. I don't care what you believe about the issue. That's not the important thing. I mean, yes, we need to find some answers and all of that, but the important thing to remember is that those are people who are created in the image of God, and they need to be treated as such. They need to be treated as such. You know, so, so you know, just, just look at all the calloused comments that are on Facebook. Fewer people call themselves soft-hearted than they did years ago. And others' misfortunes just don't bother us as much as they used to. Think about it. A 40% drop in how we care about it. That's disturbing. And it makes you wonder why. What has changed since the 1980s? There's a lot of theories, but experts argue that they believe one of the top causes is, be, is, is because of the rise of social media. So then the question arises, how would the rise of social media cause us to care less? How would it do that? Let me give you three possible ways for that. First, thanks to social media, we're, we are more obsessed with ourselves. We become more obsessed with ourselves. No need to elbow your spouse. I won't say who that was. <laughs> the things I see up here sometimes. Anyway, it, it, it used, I'm sorry. It used to be that you bought a camera to what? To take pictures of, of places, take pictures of things, take pictures of people, right? Well, now not only do we have phones that take pictures, we have phones with a, with a front-facing camera so we can take pictures of ourselves in all sorts of poses, like making duck lip faces. Oh, I mean, seriously. Or, or then there's the ever so popular in front of a bathroom mirror and taking a picture to show off your new outfit or your abs and your muscles that you've been working on with a toilet in the background. I mean, seriously? I saw one yesterday, somebody showing off a new outfit with a toilet in the background. Thank God there was nobody using it at the time. Uh, you know, I mean... We, 
we've become so obsessed with, a, with ourselves. You know, studies show that 80% of what a person does on social media relates directly to the user, directly to self. In other words, if I'm, any, if I'm going on social media, I'm going to see what, I, see what I'm interested in, in and what you're saying about me. And, you know, did you like my picture? Did you comment on it? You know, 80% of all we do on social media relates directly to us. And when we see something related to us, our brain does something. It releases a chemical we've talked about before, a chemical dopamine. And what that actually does when that's released is it actually trains our brains to be what? to be more self-centered, trains our brains to be more self-centered. Number two, second thing, overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. It really does. It desensitizes us. The more we see pain and suffering, the less it affects us. And, the less, and, and, and we just get used to it, and it, do, it doesn't affect us like it used to. Think of the first time you saw a commercial on TV of a, 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 of a, a poor, you know, starving, you know, poor, starving children with distended bellies. And think about how horrible that was. You wanted to go empty your bank account and send them all your money to those poor kids, right? And you felt guilty for not doing it, right? Well, now what do we respond with? Oh, wow, that's too bad. Click, swipe, scroll, whatever, and go right past it. It doesn't affect us like it used to. After seeing the same thing over and over, year after year, our reaction is reduced to how sad. Or we see many reports, so, so many reports of violence in the news reports in our time. You know, we see another bombing of a church in, in West Africa. Do we stop and pray and take that seriously before the Lord? Or do we just say, not another one, scroll past? We've become, we're becoming desensitized. Third thing, lack of personal interaction makes it easier to not care. Lack of personal interaction makes it easier to not care. When there's no relationship or personal interaction, it's easier to not care. Think about this. You're sitting across the table with a friend who is pouring their heart out to you because they lost their job, they're about to lose their house, they don't know where their family is going to go, they don't know what their family is going to do, and you feel their pain, right? You feel their pain, and you pray with greater intensity than, than you do for someone that you have no interaction with. The closer you are to the person and the situation, the more interaction you're going to have, and the more you care, right? The more you care. As I've said so many times, it's one reason every believer needs to be plugged into a local church to have the, the, the you know, for those relationships to be developed and those relationships to be there. And then when, when things hit your life, you've got a built-in support system, support group right there by your friends. And that's why our relationships need to go to a so much deeper level than social media. Because as followers of Jesus, compassion counts. It counts. Not the kind of compassion that just posts a sad face on Facebook, but true compassion. Let me give you two, two thoughts on true compassion. True compassion, first of all, it demands action. Demands action. The Greek word used in the Bible for compassion is splachnizomi. 
I will not try that again. It, 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 it's to have the bowels yearn, to feel sympathy, to be moved to action. In other words, it's more than just an emotion. It's to feel something so deeply at the core of your being that you are compelled to do something. True compassion demands action. The other main thought is to say that you care but not act is to not care at all. If we say we care, but we don't do anything about it, we don't act, we don't pray, we don't do something physical, whatever, then we really don't care. Mark 1, chapter, starting in verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion... Jesus spoke to him and said, oh, I hope you're feeling better. I'll, spend po I'll, I'll send positive energy and positive vibes your way. Is that what it says? No, it says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And he was healed instantly. The man came to Jesus. Jesus was what? He was moved with compassion. Not just felt bad, but moved with compassion, moved to do something. He touched him, he healed him. Mark 14, verse 14. After Jesus crossed the lake, uh, uh, Matthew tells us this. Jesus, when he got to the other side, he, Jesus saw a huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them. And what? Went and had lunch? No. Healed their sick. He had compassion and he did something. He healed their sick. He didn't say, hope you all get better. He, he, he did something about them being sick. He healed them. Then in Matthew 20, two blind men came. They called out to Jesus and, and, and Jesus had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. What did they do? What did he do? He, he, he touched their eyes. And they were immediately healed over and over throughout the New Testament. Jesus shows his compassion by his actions. True compassion does something. You may think, well, what can I do? What can I do? There's so many needs, so many hurting people. And that is so true. And we can't go out and do, you know, everything But I want to propose an answer that maybe you haven't thought of before in this life. Because as individuals, what we, what we can do is limited. But as a church body, we can do more than we can as individuals. So what we can do is we can be the church. We can be the church. Listen to me. The church is commissioned and tasked by Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to the lost, the broken, the discouraged, and the hurting. And the best way that we can do that is by being the church. Sometimes we think we have to go out and do all these big things. But if we just be the church... The local church, it's been said so many times before, the local church is the hope of the world. I truly believe that. The government is not the hope of the world. America is not the hope of the world. 
No political system or structure is commissioned or capable of bringing the kingdom of God to our world, only the church, as it's expressed through local churches all over the globe. Say, what can I do? Be the church. Be the church. Serve in the church. Church isn't a building. The church is us. It's the people. It's the body of Christ. The church is our ministry team. The church is our children's workers. The church is our sound people. The church is our media team. The church is our, 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 our worship team. The church is our, our welcome team and our hospitality workers. The church is our grounds crew. The church is our men's group. The church is our women's group. The church is our security team. The church is our staff. The church is our board. The church is our administrative people. The church is the people who work in every single area of ministry. And there's a place for everyone to serve and to be the church. An opportunity for all of us to be the church. Because it is the church who is tasked with bringing the kingdom of God to those who are broken, those who are hurting, those whose marriages are crumbling, those who are looking for a reason to hope, those who are searching for the truth, those who are looking for God. It is the church. The church is the only organization that can bring the kingdom of God to this world. So do you want to know what you can do? Be the church. Serve in a ministry. That's what you can do to show compassion to a broken and hurting world. Because then you're saying, I'm a part of this group. I am a part of the body of Christ that is here to bring in the kingdom of God. But there's three things that we need to understand about this kind of compassion. First of all, this kind of compassion interrupts. It interrupts. It will absolutely interrupt your life. The phone, the camera on our phone can no longer be in selfie mode, just focused on ourselves all the time. It has to be flipped around so it sees what's on the other side. It has to be flipped around so it sees all of the, 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 the needs around us, the people around us, so they can see what God is doing in the lives around us. Instead of what can you do for me, the question becomes what can I do for you? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the church is only the church when it exists for others. We are only the church when we exist for others. Instead of only being the church when it's convenient, I make the church be a, a, a priority because it's never going to be convenient. It interrupts our lives. I want you to turn in your Bibles, not in your notes, so turn in your Bibles or your devices, whatever you have, to Mark 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. So Jesus had sent them out, said, go and bring the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead, you know, preach the kingdom and demonstrate it. So they came back and told them all that they had done and, 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 and taught. And Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. You know, they'd been out working hard in ministry. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his, and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. 
They couldn't even get a lunch break, so they said, okay, let's, let, let's get away. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Hey, let's get in the boat. We're going across the lake, find a nice quiet spot, get some R&R, and then we'll get back to it. And, and, um, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He's just, he's, he, he was just trying to get alone with his disciples. He was just trying to get some rest. He wasn't quitting. He wasn't you know, leaving. He was just saying, okay, just let's rest ourselves. Let's get some R&R. But he's interrupted by the needs of so many people. So he ministered to them. And then he even ended up feeding a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. Getting up early on Sunday morning is not always convenient. Meeting with others at a time that fits their schedule rather than ours is not always convenient. I, I, I remember, you know, back to the Sunday morning, Tom. Tom, when we were meeting in Harmony School, he would get up and he would be in there at 7.30 every morning to set up sound equipment and to set up chairs so faithfully. And, and not only would he, and, and there was no air conditioning at that time in the gym at Harmony School. So, you know, it was hot. I mean, it was hot. And we had one of those big high-volume fans you know, that, that we used and, and several smaller ones. So it was kind of hard to even hear over all of that. But it, it was just so hot, you know, in July and August in Indiana. And, and he was there 730. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I came in that early a couple of times to help. It about killed me. I had to go home and change because I was dripping with sweat. And then not only would he come in at 7.30 and, and set up chairs and set up sound equipment and all of that, he would be about the last one to leave because he would leave after everything was torn down and put away, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And this was for a 10 o'clock, no, 10.30 service at the time. So he was there from 7.30 until, uh, you, you know, often 2 o'clock till everything was done. Was that convenient for him? No. Did he get tired doing it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he was driven with compassion for people and a vision for seeing the kingdom of God touch lives and a vision for the church to do the work of the kingdom. Compassion will interrupt your life and it's not always convenient. Second thing, it costs. It costs. There's a cost involved. Jesus told the story in Luke 10 of a Samaritan man who, while traveling, came upon someone who was beaten and robbed and left for dead. Someone that would have considered him an enemy. Someone that would have despised him. Um, I was thinking about this this morning. Today it would be like this. You've got an undocumented immigrant. And he knows that ICE is coming to deport them, to arrest them and deport them. And he's heard they're coming to his house. 
So he, 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 he gets his family together, and he's, he starts taking off. He's going down the road. Comes down the road, and he sees a car by the side of the road. Lying next to the car, he sees an ICE agent. And the car was on the road to his house. Sees the ICE agent laying on the roadside to the car. Somebody had stopped, held him up, robbed him, kicked him, beat him, left him half dead on the side of the road. So what's he do? Does he keep on going? No, he stops. He stops. He knew this agent was not his friend. But he stops, he bandages him up. Takes him to a room in a hotel. Takes care of him. Goes to the hotel clerk, owner, whatever. And says, look, I'm going to leave him here. I will be back in a couple of days. If there is anything else pays him for a couple of days for him to stay there and it says take care of him if he needs anything else if he needs medicine if he needs bandages if he needs any kind of help do it and I will pay you back when I come back through here because I will be back because I'll check on him cost it cost him money it cost inconvenience cost possibly the ridicule of his friends if they found out that he had helped out this man. And he didn't grumble about the cost or ask for repayment. He simply willingly paid the cost. Third thing, compassion interrupts, compassion costs, and it changes lives. When we are moved with the kind of compassion that moved Jesus to action. When instead of being busy taking spiritual selfies, the church has its eyes open and is focused on joining the work that, that God is doing all around it and which he's inviting us to do and is willing to be interrupted and when we're willing to be inconvenienced, when we're willing to pay the cost, lives will change. Because that's when the world around us will see that not only do they matter to God, they matter to us as well. Compassion's a great word. Until you start to think about what all it involves. Because compassion is never easy. Compassion is not, oh, I, I, feel, I feel sorry for this or I feel bad for this situation. That's not compassion. Compassion is when we are moved to do something. Moved to go beyond ourselves at our own cost, at our own inconvenience, at, at, you know, our, our own sacrifice. And we can make the difference that we can make. That's one reason we're all here. We're not all here on Sunday mornings to have a big party. We're here to be the church. To be the church in this community. Now we may not be the biggest church in town. I guarantee you we're not. We're not the church with the most 
monetary resources in town were not. But the impact that we can make when we come together, serve together, and are the church, that impact can't be measured. Lives will change. My life changed forever in July of 1978 because I started going to a small church in southern Indiana, down in Bedford. with people that were nothing like me. But they were the church. They were there when I went. And they loved me. And my life changed forever. My life. I mean, the trajectory of my life and the... And the the, our whole family tree changed because of that small church. I mean, we met in an old stone company building with old theater seats with the stuffing sticking out of them because they were so worn out. <sighs> but people that just knew how to love. And my life was changed. Whole family's life was changed. I'm not the person that I was. All we got to do is be the church. We don't have to solve all the problems. We don't have to, to be anything other than what God made us. And the impact that we have, even when we're not realizing it, I started going there when I had no desire to go there. I had no interest to go there. Lisa had started going there, so you know I ended up starting to go with her. wasn't even planning on it. Just just happened. And you know I'm sitting there. I'm I'm critical of this. I'm critical of that. I'm, you know, critical of all these people. You know, raising your hands and singing, and you know, and I, I'm thinking. Huh. You're not going to get me to raise my hands. I'm not going to, you know, stick out like a, like an idiot. You know, I didn't realize that everybody else was raising their hands, but me, I was the one that stuck out being an idiot with that attitude. But I was, you know, I was critical. And, but but God was working on me the whole time as 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 the message pastor preached. You know, God was working on my heart, and it came to the day I just said, "Okay, God, you've got me. I'm I, I I'm yours. I'm yours." Don't underestimate what God can do through you as you're a part of a church where he plants you. I thank God for that. Still friends with several of the people today. January, I had the honor of being asked to do the funeral the pastor flew out to Austin to do it I want to pray let's close our eyes
Father, I pray right now and I ask you to stir up this kind of compassion in our hearts. Where it's already there, increase it, Lord. Just increase it. And where it's not there, we ask you to give it to us. Stir up that compassion in our hearts. Turn our, our cameras away from ourselves and let's see what's around us. We don't want the focus. We don't want to be focused on, on inside and on ourselves anymore. We want to see who you've placed around us. We want to see what you're doing around us. Help us to see the broken and the hurting that are right in front of us. And Lord, we know that we can't do everything. But we know that if you've placed us in their lives, then there is something that we can do. So help us to see where we can and what we can do. Help us to see where we can be your church and serve. Because Lord, the local church is what you left to reach this world with your kingdom. You left us with those instructions. The local church. The local church of the hope of this world. As you came to, not to be served, but to serve. Lord, we give you permission to interrupt our lives. Now give us the courage and the willingness to pay the cost. Bring your kingdom through us. And as you've changed our lives, use us to bring change to others' lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and let the worship team come up. While they're coming, if, um, if the Lord has, has spoken to you about an area where you would like to serve, or spoken to you about serving in an area in the church, and there's an area that you're interested in or a couple of areas that you're thinking about. We're not asking for a commitment right now. We're just asking, you know, if you're interested, write it down on that card. And then uh, as we turn it in in a moment, um, just to let us know. And we can talk and see if that's, that area is a good fit. Not, not every area is a good fit for everybody. Our desire, though, is to see everyone plugged in somewhere where they can be involved in ministering to others in some way, using the gifts that God has given you. The ushers could go ahead and get ready.